Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The word of the Lord. Thank Response, reading from Psalm 118. Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, would you speak to us through your word? Make it clear to us by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Well, again, happy Easter to all of you. It has been a fun couple of days. We 
had Monday, Thursday, and then we celebrated with All Saints Good Friday and then Easter Vigil last night. For those of you that could have that was able to make it, thank you for for coming. Um, this this passage here in John ten is incredibly illustrative of God and His relationship to us. He loves using metaphors. And I actually want to end there, but I want to open up a couple of other scriptures, too, that weren't read today, uh, namely uh, a psalm, Psalm 8, and then a passage in Mark chapter 16, which describes um, the, the women coming to the empty tomb and what they found. And what I hope to articulate as we celebrate this Easter day is help us to understand how, how truly wonderful God is, how he is a God of wonder. And this day is a day of wonder. And what that does for you and me. There's a pastor who I heard that when, after shortly becoming a Christian, he was given this advice that every time when he got up in the morning and he would read scripture, they, he said, um, pray this prayer. And it comes from this psalm in Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And the idea being that when he even went and read God's law, that he would um, be filled with wonder. And so on this day, this day of true wonder, when we think about the resurrection of Christ, it does kind of blow our minds. It kind of pushes against our understanding of reality, that he died for, for me and he died for you. And it's possible to see that this God of wonder um, can grab your attention once again. But he does this over time in a couple of different ways. And that's what I want to kind of unwrap today through these three passages, Psalm 8, Mark 16, and John 10. So what we see first in Psalm 8 is this, that God shows us wonder by displaying his power in creation, by showing his power in creation. The psalmist says this in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? There may be favorite parts of nature for you. My um, grandmother-in-law loved uh, bird watching. She still has this, um, this place in her house when she can get up and go do it. Um, she's getting a little bit older and just watches birds. She's got a couple of binoculars and, oh my goodness, maybe three dozen books alone in that little corner of bird watching. Or maybe it's watching storms roll in. I love to go out into the garage and lift up the garage door and just watch like lightning shred the sky and feel, feel the thunder uh, come around me. My kids, they get a kick mostly out of fireflies. You know, when the, and it's coming, the summer's coming, when you see these fireflies uh, just rise up from the ground right at dusk and then suddenly light up like a lamp. You and I, we see these kinds of things and it's beautiful and powerful and maybe a little awe-inspiring. Maybe it gives you some happiness and some peace. But does it occur to you how incredible it is? Like if, if you knew nothing about fireflies, let's say you lived in a very cold place like Ohio or something. I don't know. Um, somewhere where you don't see these things very much, although they have them in Ohio too. But somewhere where you've never seen a firefly. And I came up to you 
And I said, uh, Julie, let me tell you about these, these, these bugs called fireflies. And I described them to you, what they did. Would you believe me? Like, how many of us would truly think, wait, 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 you're sitting there telling me that a, a, a light in a bug lights up like a lamp. I mean, it's bizarre and crazy to think about. And yet, truly, that's what God has done. I remember reading this passage in City of God by Augustine, and he was making the argument for God's uh, majesty and glory in the, the reality of the phoenix. And I'm like, wait, wait, I thought reality, um, phoenixes were myth. You know, the, the bird that goes down and in the fire dies and then smolders and then comes back up and is kind of reincarnated or whatever you want to say, resurrected in this new little thing. That a, a phoenix dies in fire and comes back alive again. And yet his argument was, he, he heard it from someone that it's really true. And then he started connecting that to things like fireflies. And I was like, wait a second, I have to suspend my reality for a moment. And, and realize that much of what I see around me, if I just walked out these doors, I've accepted as true because I see them. But if I hadn't, and somebody had shared it with me, I'd be like, no way, no way. A live oak always has leaves? Yeah, and I have to rake leaves constantly throughout the year because it, it falls and there's always leaves on the dang thing. The nature around us, the creation around us displays God's power, and it's awe-inspiring. I showed last night to the people who came to the Easter Vigil this cool app called Sky Guide. You see this thing? And you can, I love the music on this, but you can like look up at the sky and look at all the stars and see what's going on. Look, there's the sun. Jupiter's right next to it, which you couldn't see because it's so bright. But you can also see even in the southern hemisphere, see what's going on down there. And it's pretty cool. And I showed this to my, my kids, um, showed it to my wife too when we were dating. She thought I was really impressive. Um, and, and they just love to watch. And I'll spend, astronomy I get a kick out of. So I'll spend like 20 minutes just looking to see where are the planets and where are the stars. And look, oh, there goes a satellite. You can actually see it in the sky. They really get a kick, though. And, and it really starts to, to, to stretch their minds when they realize that, like, what are we looking at below the earth here? And I explain to them that the earth is round. It's a sphere. And so then they ask, wait, are you telling me that people are standing upside down on the other side of the earth? You know, it's difficult to believe even that when we see it in our with our own eyes. And so God's power, it stretches our mind, it stretches what we would believe in, and it causes awe or wonder. And it's true whether you're a Christian or not, or whether you believe in God or not. Think about the human design too, outside of let's say, the cosmos, but you see God's creative power in human beings, a baby being born. Many of you are grandparents, and you get to relive, or even great-grandparents, and relive watching a child be born. It's so different, isn't it, for, for you, now that you see your kids having kids. What great, amazing wonder you get to experience at that. Or an athlete competing, seeing uh, young men do bicycle kicks, or uh, a man hitting a home run twice in one inning, or a woman breaking records in Olympic pool over and over again. Or about an artist creating something in, in front of you. I remember going to a worship service and watching these young women paint this thing while we were having a worship service. And by the end of the worship service, an hour, there was this huge painting of this lion 
roaring over the earth with God's word coming out of his mouth. It was so amazing that Kate, after the service, went and asked the pastor, what are you all doing with that after this? And they said, well, we don't have any plans. And then it was the third service of the weekend. She goes, can we have it? And so for about three or four years, it was unrolled on one of our walls in our living room. It was epic. It was amazing to watch. It created wonder and conversation and whatnot. Or think about the human brain. If any of you guys are doctors or nurses or you get a kick out of this, the human brain and its ability to process uh, uh, arithmetic or, or um, having some sort of uh, conversation in itself or whatnot um, is truly stunning. They, they have developed that people are developing supercomputers that, that can kind of imitate or frankly, to try to compete with the ability of the human brain. And not too recently, the most powerful computer, and they've come up with even more powerful ones, but this one was called Japan's K computer, decided to do this. And um, it utilized 82,000 processors to simulate the, the brain, the brain, human brain activity. And it took the entire supercomputer 40 minutes to simulate one second of human brain activity. Again, when you think of what God has created, from the cosmos to the human being to even your thinking right now, it produces wonder. But there's something there in the activity, the feeling of wonder, that actually creates happiness. Even for the person who doesn't know that there is an actual person behind it all not just an invisible power, not just a life force that you can't have a conversation with, but an actual person. But even for the person who thinks it's just a life force, an invisible power, people go out and travel. They go camping. They go seek places um, on vacation so they can go watch the tide come in or go look at mountains. And they want to be in those places because it produces this feeling of awe and wonder. And it actually produces happiness. But the Christian has, a, has an advantage, like I said, over this, because we know the power behind it. G.K. Chesterton, uh, when he was considering his life in retrospect, thought about this. And this man named Joseph Piper wrote this about it. So that G.K. Chesterton had, had always had the most mystical conviction of the miracle in all that exists and of the rapture dwelling essentially within all experience. Within this statement lie three separate assertions. One that everything holds and conceals at bottom a mark of its divine origin, where it comes from. Two, that one who catches a glimpse of it sees that this and all things are good beyond all comprehension. And we're going to spend some few minutes about that when we get to John. And that scene, finally, but seeing this, number three, he is happy. Here in sum is the whole doctrine of the contemplation of earthly creation. So yes, even for the person who doesn't know God or maybe even doesn't believe in a God, there is happiness, but there is something beyond that for Christians, the source of it all. And so God displays his power in creation and people wonder and awe. But God also displays his power over creation. In that story about the women, Johanna and Mary, I think there's actually three Marys that show up, and then uh, Salome, when they go to the tomb in Mark chapter 16, they gather up the spices and they're heading out there. And they say, it says there in verse 3 
that they were wondering, not to belabor the point, they were wondering who was going to roll, over the, roll the stone away, the stone, which was a, a huge thing. I mean, it's practically two tons, and not just in this spot, but rolled in sort of like a crevice. And so once the soldiers, whoever was there, Joseph of Arimathea and a couple other guys or whatever, pushed this thing into place, it was virtually impossible to move out unless you had some heavy equipment multiple strong soldiers to try to move it away. So they, they wondered, the natural wonder they should have, is like, well, who's going to help us move that sucker aside? Hopefully there's a family or two out there um, visiting a gravesite or whatever, but they go there. And it says, and if you have your Bible, you can turn there real quick. It says in verse 4 that, I mean, the, the words are still like hanging, like, like, a, like one of these cartoon balloon conversations over their head. Who will roll away the stone from us at the entrance of the tomb? And verse 4, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Yeah, of course it was. The stone had been rolled back. I thought for a moment when I was studying this passage this week, did the stone really have to be rolled away? Uh, a moment ago, we, we read some stuff from Acts, and Peter was describing what had happened and how they were witnesses. And we remember that there was this moment when they were in the upper room. It said that the doors were locked. Do you remember that? The doors were locked because they were afraid. And Jesus just appeared, not as a disembodied spirit, not as a ghost, but body and spirit and all. How did he... Jesus just can walk through walls now. <laughs> this, this creation doesn't, um, he doesn't operate by those same rules anymore. And so his power over creation is demonstrated a little bit here, but the stone, this is my point, the stone didn't have to be rolled away. Like the stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could act, he didn't knock on the stone, hey, angel, I've been alive. Please, could you, could you please just open it. So there's some, there's some speculation. When did Jesus actually leave the tomb? Maybe it was on Holy Saturday. But he was gone. So I ask the question again, why was the stone rolled away? Well, in part, it was simply this, so that the women could see. They could see. And they didn't have to labor or wonder or struggle over the stone. God was so excited to show them what he had done. He says, come here, look at this. We talked a couple of Sundays ago about the word behold that comes up quite a bit in Scripture. And this is just, I've got me thinking about it. I've been noodling on it for weeks. It's just such a great word because it's a demonstration of God's just excitement to show us something. Because in biblical language, the word behold means, let me show you something. Hold on, you can't miss this. You've got to see this. Come look, behold. There's God commanding his angel, get the stone out of the way. They're coming, they're coming, hurry, hurry. You ever done that with your kids? When you know they're coming down for Christmas morning or you've set out the Easter eggs and stuff and you're like, sweetie, hurry, hurry, they're coming, they're coming because you, you, want, you want that for them. If we are good parents, though wicked and rebellious and weak and selfish as, as we are sometimes, can you imagine the goodness of God just wanting you to see it? Let me show you. I think that's in part some of the reason the stone was rolled away. Charles Spurgeon, though, makes the point that the stone is rolled away because it represents something big, obviously. 
it, it represents that you and I, like those women, have stones in our lives, boulders that we cannot move. It is a reminder of our human frailty and weakness. I don't think it would be too long or too big of a struggle for you to think about what kind of stones in your life have been like that or are like that, whether it's a relationship or business concerns or whatnot. And maybe, maybe you've had times when that stone has been rolled away for you. That you woke up one morning or months go by and you see that that really huge thing in your life has been resolved. Not through any effort of your own, but something else, something divine perhaps. God's providence in your life, his intervention in your life, working in such a way that you wake up one day and that stone has been removed. And I dare say that God is probably saying to you, hey, don't miss this. Watch this. Look at that. It is a reminder, as Spurgeon points out, that, that there are things in our lives that ultimately you and I can't move and God has to move. And that's never a bigger deal than we think about death. Your impending death, my impending death, it is coming. And that stone being rolled away by God is a demonstration that now you, if you are, if you are dying to yourself, taking up your cross, and taking on the death of Christ to you, you also get to receive in that same kind of resurrection. That same resurrection that says that death no longer has a stone for you. That you're no longer trapped in that tomb. You see, Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 6 that the death that Christ died, he died once for all. And that death no longer has mastery over him. He did it once. It's done. And so when you and I die, there will be no stone entrapping you closing you in just doesn't have that power anymore so i love that illustration or that thought that spurgeon has that um that that block of stone in death is truly gone it causes wonder now the women run in fear at the stone being rolled away the empty tomb the angelic declaration all unexpected but they shouldn't have been augustine makes this point we must remember that the god who is to do the things which seem impossible is the God who foretold that he would do them. And that this is the same God who made the promise so clearly fulfilled already that incredible things would be accepted as credible by incredulous peoples. Only Augustine can write that kind of stuff. It's incredible. I just used the word. But anyway, um, he's making the point that God said this. And you see it in what the angel says to them. He says, do not be alarmed in verse 6. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they are laid him. Behold, come take a look. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you. There you will see him just as he told you. And that brings us to John chapter 10. Because it gives us a clear idea of God's character. You know, it would be one thing if we served a God who had power in creation. I think we could get that. It takes a little, and that's a leap in and of itself, but it takes a little bit more leap to see how God, this same power, would have power over creation. It, it, I say difficult because there are people who believe that no miracles happen, and if they, they would happen, it's kind of a violence over creation. But in my mind, that doesn't make a lot of sense. If God is the artist who paints, of course he can grab another paint, 
brush and a new, a new color and paint something new over what he had painted. That's who God is. He has that ability. And so anything that he does, like walking on water or raising from people from the dead, this isn't a violation of creation. This is him just operating as he can, as he's allowed to. But what he's done here is now, if we've thought about his power in creation, his power of creation, we have said nothing about his goodness or his character. We don't know anything about him. Now, you might get a little bit, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, that we get a sense of not only his eternal power, but his divine nature. So there's something there. But to truly understand it in total of God's goodness or his character, I don't think we can truly say. And so, so that's, what we, that's where John 10 comes in. I said at the beginning that God loves metaphors. Come on, in a lot of, they're already there. Go, go, go. That God loves metaphors. And this metaphor that he, he shows us is that he says the Lord is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, 1892. Do you know it? That locks for some reason. Yes, okay. Um, but that's not what he says yet. He does say in verse 11, I only read till verse 10. And so the metaphor, this is where it really gets me weirded out. It says, I am the door. So I don't know how much you know about sheeping in ancient Israel. I don't even say the word right. But um, what do you say that? Shepherding? Anyway, um, <laughs> he says there that the, the shepherd knows his sheep and they hear his voice and whatnot. And then there's these places. You can go out there now to Israel because, or the, the Arabian area because they still have these sheepfolds out there. They would go, a shepherd would take his sheep, let's say he had 50 sheep, he would take his 50 sheep out into the wilderness and be with them for days and weeks on end so that they would graze and water and whatever else, and he would take care of them. Um, and a little bit like when you go, uh, um, when you're driving on the road and there's a rest stop there for you or there's a camping spot, there's just these places that other people have built and put together. So there's these places out there in the wilderness, these sheepfolds made of rocks and stones and whatnot. And it's just this big circle or enclosure where they can kind of, at night, take their sheep in as long as the weather's nice and they can, sh they can sleep in this enclosure, you know, underneath the stars, and it's great. But there's this one little opening, let's say about as wide as it is between these, these kneelers, where, where the sheep can go out and go in. And there's not this door necessarily because it probably wouldn't survive the, uh, the weather or whatnot, but a lot of times it's just this opening. So here's the really cool part. So the shepherd would come and he would camp right there in the doorway. He would lay down right there across it so that the sheep wouldn't just wander out a little bit like a parent sleeping on the couch to make sure their teenager doesn't get out at night again. The shepherd lays across, and so he is literally the door. What a beautiful metaphor of God being our protection, our guide. So he describes, of course, the enemies and the thieves and the robbers, and they would just jump over the wall or sneak through the roof on the side or whatnot. And he's saying, that's not me. I am the door. I'm not only your shepherd, but I am the actual door. Now, shepherds, because they live with their sheep for so long, they have this uncanny relationship and knowledge of their sheep. They would know them often by name. One guy went out there and did some research, and he asked this uh, Arabian shepherd, he says, do you really know their names? You know every single one of his sheep? And he says, 
uh, mister, if you would have put a, a blindfold over me, I could tell every one of my sheep by touching their face. There was reports of this guy, um, a different man who went out there. This is one of my uh, pastor Bible uh, manners and customs books or whatever of ancient Israel. But there was this scene where this guy had, um, it was after dark. So the sun had gone down. It was completely pitch black. And he called, he had 51 sheep. He called all, um, every single one of the mothers, okay, what they called a ewe or something like that. Every one of the mothers um, by name called him in there and was able to, in the dark, um, uh, connect the mother with their young, young lamb. One by one by one. Not able to see or anything. You wouldn't have believed it if you saw it. It'd be one thing to do that in, in the daylight where you could see them and recognize them. But at night, where you can't see at all, and you hear all the cries of the mothers for their lambs and all the cries of the lambs for their mothers, and they're all jumbled about, and not an issue all 51. That's the kind of knowledge a shepherd, a human shepherd, has for their sheep. And of course, God's power and goodness is so much greater than that over his creation and for us. And so when Jesus says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd and I am the door, and he describes to us what the thieves and the robbers do, but how he does it, and we think about that in light of how a shepherd knows his sheep. I love knowing that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. But it means something really special to me to know that the shepherd knows the sheep's voice. God knows your voice. He knows your name. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the depths of your heart. It is tempting to think that to come to God, we'd have to reveal something about ourselves. You might have had this argument in your head, he doesn't know, but he does. He knows better than you do, and he still says, come. He still says, I love you. He still says, I am your door. He still says, I am your shepherd. This produces wonder. A wonder in kind that is different even than the wonder of nature and creation. And it gives light and story and depth to this idea of God's power that comes from the wonder over creation. Because God is not just a powerful God. He is a good God. He is a close God. A God that's willing to smell like a sheep, to live in the desert for you. Easter is a day of wonder. But it's not easy to convey a sense of wonder if you haven't really experienced it. Eugene Peterson says, let alone resurrection wonder, it's the very nature of wonder to catch us off guard, to circumvent expectations and assumptions. Wonder can't be packaged and it can't be worked up. It requires some sense of being there and some sense of engagement. This is often my prayer for myself because I forget 
I get tired. The other day, I'll end with this. The other day, I, I, just, I just lit into my wife, you know, in a very pastorally, priestly way, you know, okay, whatever. <laughs> but I was really upset with something about her that she was just seeming like she was being rude to me or dishonoring or whatever. And she, oh, she's amazing, much better than I am. She just stopped everything and in tears her eyes. She goes, am I that kind of woman to you? Don't, don't I respect you and follow you and listen to you and support you? And Oh, man, it just, like, a, like she just took a Bible and whipped me across the head or splashed a bucket of cold water on me. And I realized, what am I doing? And I love that because it recognized, it, 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 I realized in that moment that I so easily forget about the woman, her character, and who she is standing right in front of me. I live with 24-7. You and I, we also forget how God is towards us. And so when I read this a moment ago, this Eugene Peterson quote, like my prayer for myself is that, that I would remember that I need to be there and that I need this, this, this engagement from the Lord to remind me of how amazing he is. Not only through Easter and, and through his creation, but, but that he is this good shepherd who loves me. This is his character. And so though this period of our lives might be really, really difficult and things might be very, very confusing, God is saying, don't you, don't you know me? Don't you remember that boulder I rolled out of the way for you and said, behold, come take a look? Don't you remember what I did for Christ? And I said, this is also for you. Oh, that's my prayer, that we would be able to see it, that God, of course, is a day of wonder, and Easter is a day of wonder but that we would have our eyes open to see it all. That our minds would be able to know it. And then there, of course, to share it with others. That's my prayer. I love this day because it arrests my attention. It reminds me of how good God is. And it fills me with wonder. I pray it does for you as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this truth in your word from Old Testament to New Testament to the Gospels, and of course, to what we know of the consummation, the hope that we have in the future, that one day you will raise us all to life just as you raised Christ to life, and that we will live forever, and that we will live with you forever. So God, would you fill us this day with your wonder, that it would truly bring us happiness, not just the happiness of being amazed at creation, but the eternal happiness and of knowing that we will be with you forever. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's struggling with that belief, would you awaken their faith just as you have, well, you make lightning bugs light up at night or bolts of lightning shred the sky or birds fly. Lord, would you recreate in their hearts and their minds your faith? Would you build in them that kind of faith, a faith and a sense of wonder. Would you do these things? In Christ's name, amen. Will you please stand?